Hey there, and welcome to the Pseudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. Today, we'll look at edge architecture. Where does it fit into a traditional infrastructure? What industries could take advantage of IT at the edge? And what pitfalls this could bring? All that and more on the Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every episode is my random adjective co-host, Brandon Johnson. How you doing today, buddy? <laughs> I was expecting you to just throw something in like edgy or my edgy co-host since we're talking about edge today. But no, you just went for red. You, you didn't do that you decided to because you always have random adjective in the script and you didn't and you didn't <laughs> fix it no 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 so i see how it is so edgy i was going to go that way i thought that might have been too obvious and then i never circled back around i mean i, I wrote the intro for uh, for the episode that goes above our intro music and as we started recording i realized i didn't put anything in there so <laughs> Because edgy would have been too obvious, I left it in there. So we'll, we're going to roll with that today. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, Eric. That's funny. Uh, th- things are good. Life is good. I, I can't complain. I'm, I'm excited to be doing the show. This episode of the Pseudo Show is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now is the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean because their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With that platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. Simply point App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all the heavy lifting, whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, or even container images. By running App Platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than other products. Plus, it's built on DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup as well. As a pseudo show listener and a member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app with their app platform for free. And it gets better. DigitalOcean will give you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of the Pseudo Show and the entire Destination Linux network. Today's episode of the Pseudo Show is brought to you by none other than Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. You can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to check out their amazing service. You may or may not know that websites and apps are under attack every day. And because of this, security breaches occur. When you reuse the same passwords across multiple websites, hackers thank you because they can easily access your email, banks, and other important accounts. This is why security experts recommend that you use a different randomly generated password for every online account. With Bitwarden, you can create these randomly generated passwords that are different for every site you visit. And the best part is Bitwarden will manage all of this for you so you don't have to. Bitwarden works across your devices from mobile, desktop, browser plugins, and even on the command line. When you make the smart move and go check out bitwarden.com DLN and get started for free. If you're like me, though, you'll want to access 
all that Bitwarden has to offer with the premium edition, especially since the premium edition starts at only $10 per year. That's right, $10 per year. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN and thank you Bitwarden for sponsoring the pseudo show and the entire Destination Linux network. Every now and then, I get fascinated with a new technology or new concept. Over the years, it's been Linux, obviously, DevOps, and easily a dozen others. I would say the the one thing that's grabbed my attention recently has been this push to the edge. It's been mentioned in passing on the show. We've we've kind of touched on it in a couple of interviews. It's coming up more and more in technology news and marketing materials. So today, we wanted to kind of take our traditional top-down approach. We want to talk about what edge is from, from a high-level per- perspective. We want to take out all the sales speak, if you will, and kind of get into some of the use cases and technologies. So starting out, what is edge? That is a good question. <laughs> so really, it depends on who you ask. But when I think of edge, and I think that there's only, this may sound biased, but I really do feel like Red Hat is the only enterprise company that has a really good defined view on what edge is really there are some that have it some that don't have it well defined you know others but i think red hats is one of the more complete one it's the one i know the best so i'll i'll go off that so when we talk about edge it's all it's kind of like an onion so you have the outer layer which is like we'll call premise edge. So that's think remote or branch office architecture. And then we'll have next layer in, which is like far edge or network edge, more so from a telco perspective, but may also provide to enterprise. And then you have your edge, which is the low latency, you know, low latency, but off-prem sites. And then closer in the core network or core data centers. So if we're talking enterprise, that's your da- your core data centers or, or the public cloud. If we're talking telco, that's the, the core of the network. That That's kind of the way I've kind of always thought about it. it and, and it always made sense to me, do, you know, talking about in that la- it, the layers of the onion, you just peel back the onion until you get to the core. Well, and in some use cases, depending upon the breadth the breadth of the market you're trying to reach, your customer base, if you will, and the complexity of the application, it could include all of those. So the the cloud could actually be one of the layers as well as having a physical data center. If you have a physical data center where maybe that's where your data archive lives, because, I mean, even now, storage is cheaper on bare metal than it is in the cloud. So you may want to keep all of your archives all of your records in a physical data center somewhere and then use different regions within even multiple cloud providers so it's not uncommon to have a multi-hybrid cloud network that then has additional outposts if you will on the edge itself uh, well since you bring up outposts that's uh use that word that's the uh you know the term that amazon uses for aws on-prem which is an extension of AWS. And definitely can be used for edge use cases. So whether that's like, you know, stick with what I know, which is telco. And those AWS outpost racks would li- could live in a central office. Whether in a central office that's as close to the uh, customer as possible. It's like a, 
the whole point of edge is it's not about necessarily speed. It's about latency. And there is a difference. You know, you can have one gig up down, but still have 200 millisecond latency to where you're going, which is bad for edge. You actually want the lowest latency possible. Try to go for, basically you want sub 10 millisecond latency to your end customer. Like that, this is really important when we start getting into the use cases, whether that, and we'll, we'll talk more about the use cases, but like probably some of our audience, you know, they're, they're probably thinking like gaming right away or, or some future, you know, here's some futures, self-driving cars, automated factories, you know, thinking industrial edge or, you know, kind of going back into the media space, the, uh, being able to get data real time from a sporting event and for streaming or let's take remote remote office branch office i mean that that's a pretty standard architecture really you could say that was edge 1.0 but the remote office branch office you know that architecture was used in very for, in very specific industries typically banking or retail where you needed a system on premise at at that branch office, you know. So t- let's take a bank, but this the whole point of Edge is to kind of take that out, you know, take that, take those servers out out of the banking branch and put them somewhere that's still close, that's very close, still very close, like it's on prem, but it's in a more controlled, more more uh, friendly place for for a server versus an IT closet, which you know, if anyone's seen IT closets, even banks, sometimes I'll have a sprinkler in there. I'm like, that's a great idea. <laughs> I've worked for a couple of companies back in the day that uh, their quote unquote data center was basically a janitorial closet that uh, had all the cleaning supplies. Fortunately, all the cleaning supplies were were pulled out before they started running servers in there, but no ventilation, sprinkler systems, and got to love that uh, permanent bleach smell. Yeah. One of the questions I do get, and I don't know if you got the get, get these, Eric, is like, does edge mean a return on premise? That's not necessarily true. It just means it can mean a return to on prem because if the latency requirements require you to be on prem, absolutely. That's the whole point of edge. It's all about latency to the cloud. That's the whole point of it. Where can I get pull my data fastest? If it's an AI analytics workload or some sort of AI workload like brought up automated factories, you have to have sub 10 millisecond latency for a forklift or it could run someone over. It's a safety issue, right? Uh, or collide with uh, another forklift that there's a loss issue and a property loss issue in that case. So that might have to be on premise, but the analytics workload, well, most of the data workloads uh, that help process and help l- teach the AI may be somewhere else. It may be it's off-prem, it's in the cloud. Cloud was definitely pitched as as this uh, golden bullet to, to end the data center. And while a lot of your applications would work well in a cloud environment, it may not be cheaper in the long run, but it'd be easier to to trust a company that has teams and teams of people that are specialized in hardware and data center management. Companies like DigitalOcean, companies like AWS and Microsoft, IBM, 
Google. All these companies are well known for building data centers, for managing those data centers, and you don't have to, you abstract that, that away. Cloud has far surpassed most expectations, but I think at the same time, there's certain use cases where it just it doesn't quite get things working. And no one out there that we've seen has quite figured out how do you manage this, this storage cost problem in the cloud. It, it's so dependent upon, can I spin up what I need, when I need it, and shut it down? But if you've got years and years and years of data, an AWS S3 bucket is not where you want to be storing that, that archival data. So there's still, the, the data center is not dead. So for those sysadmins out there that are still worrying about this, the data center is not dead. And I think Edge is kind of an extension of that philosophy of instead of spending all this money on cloud providers, we are kind of at their, at their mercy if they have an outage. Instead, we've been seeing co-locations uh, starting to make a bit of a resurgence where you put your data center and you put your servers in someone else's data center inside a colo. And then you, you can, and I'm predicting in, in the future here, you'll be able to lease two years worth of space in what people are starting to call an edge data center. You basically rent two U of space and the power you need to stick, you know, Dell PowerEdge or something in a rack in somebody's edge data center. And that's all of your footprint. That's all you have. So you tie in edge with things like automation and remote management. And now you can have processing power, multi-cores, hundreds of gigs of RAM spread all across the metro, all across a state or even nationwide if you need it. Yeah, and telcos are taking advantage of this. So like they're taking advantage of it by re-architecting the central office to be more like a data center. So they can, you can put infrastructure in there, whether if you're renting it, you know, doing something like uh, AWS with it, with the telecommunication provider and using that. Or there's also companies that were heavily involved in building data centers for enterprises like Equinix. And now they're getting involved and now they're, they're not just calling their data centers like, like co-location centers. They're calling them edge data centers. So it's happening, but it's uh, and there with Equinix, it's very similar. You can get bare metal, you can get virtual, and in Equinix's data centers all around the globe. I think that they have data centers within ten, maybe twenty milliseconds. I, I don't know for sure what their latency is between major cities. I think they have about twenty, you know, twenty milliseconds. It might be less uh, for every major city. So to one of their data centers. So whether if you're... Well, and that's in between cities. No, no, not in between to the data center. It's at least 20 milliseconds from a major city to one of their data centers. Multiple data centers all across the United States and all around the globe. I don't remember their exact latency from a city to a data center is. It's probably in their literature. I know telcos are advertising like five millisecond latency type use cases. Because that they have the that capability. Because in many cases, like these large the large telcos, there's a central office in every major metropolitan area, and in some cases, central office in a city you never heard of, or not even a city. Like the, <laughs> right. it's a it's barely should be barely classified as a village. <laughs> <laughs> so we we kind of talked about eliminating the the latency issue, and we've we've talked about how this affects on prem versus cloud. It, it kind of brings up the, one of the questions of why. And, and we mentioned a few use cases that, that we'll dive into here in just a minute. But 
why why bother with edge i mean we've we've already made our application so complicated that we need a container orchestrator just to run wordpress nowadays <laughs> <laughs> but why run edge and i i ended up in, in the pre-show i had I, I dug back through my podcast backlog and found the episode i was looking for but there is a podcast called compiler and it's it's hosted by red hat and i didn't pick the episode because of this but if you go back and listen to episode two of the compiler podcast, they had an amazing anecdote for uh, or an amazing example of why you'd want to use Edge. And they they started the conversation out with with a simple question. So I'll I'll ask you, Brandon, because uh, I don't know if you caught this episode, but I haven't. How many pizza shops are within a few miles of your house? If you had to guess, probably ten. Okay, so 10 pizza shops within a couple of miles of your house. Seems a little extreme, don't you think? But let's uh, jump over into a world where there's only two in the United States, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. And it's, say, it's four o'clock in the afternoon and you're hungry. So you'd, you'd call the pizza shop hotline and you'd order a pizza and you're, you're out in mountain time. So they'd, they'd send your order out to the restaurant on the West Coast who would then make your pizza and cook it. And then, like they mentioned in Compiler, they'd have to put your pizza on a plane or a train and send it out to you. So that would take a couple of days to get to you. How appetizing do you think that pizza is going to be by the time it arrives? Oh, it would be quite disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> and and how, does, how does that solve your problem of being hungry at 4 o'clock in the, in the afternoon? It doesn't. So, I mean, kind of an absurd example, but in, in a way, you take a Pizza Hut or you, you take a chain of stores like a Pizza Hut or a Domino's or something, and they've moved to that kind of system for pizza delivery. So imagine moving that over to the scale of self-driving cars was, was one of the use cases we mentioned, where you have to take in speed, road conditions, level of traffic, estimated stopping distance for vehicles. Do you really want all of those calculations to have to go out to one of the major data center hubs somewhere across the country? Or would you rather have your self-driving car just talk to a, an edge data center somewhere in the metro to get all of its traffic data? Maybe not even the edge data center in the metro. Maybe that analytics is right there in the tower or right there on a sensor or in car. Yeah. That's edge. That's the whole idea behind edge. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important. And also like people bring, you know, I'll bring up 5g. I'm going to throw it in here because they go hand in hand. What did 5g enable low latency? Mm -hmm. That's really what I care about with 5g. I don't care about speed. No. I do not care about speed. LTE is act like we haven't even hit the limits of LTE bandwidth in the at least in the United States. I don't know about elsewhere in the world. But what is so valuable about 5G is the latency. That's what makes 5G important for edge computing and will enable things like self-driving cars and automated factories and tons of other use cases. Like one one of my favorite use I'll go with a use case that is going to impact consumers all over the world. And that's gaming. Gaming is, from a revenue perspective, is larger than every entertainment industry in the world. Is a multi-billion dollar industry that eclipses most entertainment. I'm pretty sure it, it eclipses all entertainment. With gaming, one of the big things with gaming is latency. You know, you're playing, what's a popular game, Eric? I don't game that much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're just, you're too old to appreciate it, I guess. 
no, how about I, uh, I'm not that old. I'm only two years <laughs> older than you. <laughs> Here, I'll take a game I've been playing recently, and that's Everspace 2. It's a multiplayer game, but like, if I, you know, if my latency is terrible, you know, someone's going to shoot my craft down and I have to respawn. But when I have low latency to the gaming uh, server farm, I'm going to have a fantastic experience. But what if I can? everyone has that low latency experience? That's what Edge is going to provide for gaming. It's going to provide a low latency experience for everyone. It's probably me that shot you down, just for the record. Okay. <laughs> and the entertainment industry is eating this up because you mentioned gaming, but one of the other, I think it was Verizon and the NFL that have started doing this, where you can now go to 5G, quote unquote, enabled stadiums and right there on your phone, you can get up to the second statistics and and information and projections on how the players are going to perform, how how different teams are doing, what the matchup looks like. I mean, we've all seen the NFL ads from from AWS where they they calculate the percentage of you know how likely is this is this player to to catch the ball at, at this range and that kind of thing. We've seen all that, and that's that's really edge and five G under the hood. Amazon's just really, really good at branding and, and selling this kind of stuff. But that's what it is under the hood. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's not just sporting events. like talked in nauseam on self-driving cars. But like probably the industry that's going to benefit from the, this the most is it's uh, manufacturing. It's uh, warehouses. I already talked about automated, fact, you know, automated factory floors you know, with fork, robotic forklifts and Things like that. Let's uh, take a, a good a, a good use case for for a factory floor or even or a construction site. You know, you have cameras that are monitoring the these locations. There's going to be areas where hard hats are required. Certain protective equipment is going to be required. If uh, masks are required, it because you're within six feet, get an alert. Hey, you're within six feet. You don't have a mask on. Put on your mask in a locations where you have to do that like there's big community spread i think that that'd be that's very important like that's uh, uh one of those use cases that you know when you're at work it's very important like you don't have a hard hat on you entered a hard hat area you need, that's a liability issue and that's all processed through ai and that's that ai processing is happen has to happen locally it can't go transverse from say a factory in Indiana and then transverse the country to Virginia or California. It needs to happen locally and it needs to happen fast. Because, like with the robotic forklift, I already mentioned, if it's getting its commands from a data center in California, that difference in latency is huge. It's huge. It's a matter of that forklift causing damage versus not. It's a big deal. Even just the speed at which we could produce products now. I mean, our, our culture is becoming more and more consumer-based than ever before. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of this all the time of you go into your cleaning closet, you grab your all-purpose cleaner and go, oh, I've, I've got maybe enough to clean, you know, clean the house this time, but not next time. Uh, so I just need to go jump on Amazon kick my prime membership into gear and you know 2 days later I've got a product imagine being able to do that on the back end how much cheaper things would be if you build products based on ml machine learning uh, driven calculations that then trigger an order of raw materials from 
from a supplier that then get shipped to to the manufacturing plant and then thrown on the manufacturing plant floor. And then almost as quickly as I'm ordering my all-purpose cleaner, then somewhere out there, a machine learning algorithm says, oh, we we need to produce this much more. And how much quicker and more efficient the entire supply chain becomes because of that. I mean, that's just incredibly tiny example. But I mean, you scale that out. You know, manufacturing used to be limited by how fast a person could attach two components on on a manual assembly line. But now we can we can speed that up even more by having these types of low latency calculations going on on the floor live as things are being built. It, it really frees up people power, manpower to think of what's next. Because when people are, are well provided for, are safe, are happy, and they're not getting run over by, by forklifts, which has been a strange theme in this episode, but you have more time and energy to think. So by implementing things like AI, ML, and Edge, and 5G, we're just we're making our technology work even faster for us, which just opens up crazy possibilities. So the reason why I brought that up, because I, <laughs> before uh, last night, I watched the South Park episode where they went, did, where it was about the Amazon factory <laughs> oh. <laughs> or warehouse. I mean, the Amazon warehouse floor. <laughs> that, that one's <laughs> a favorite among some of my Amazon warehouse <laughs> friends. <laughs> so that, that is, of course i i thought about the forklifts but <laughs> so we we've talked about the why we've talked about the the what we've we've talked we've answered a number of the questions around edge but one thing we haven't addressed yet is the how in other words what are some of the technologies that enable edge to really exist how is it different than than your traditional data center obviously like you can extend public cloud, like public cloud, like there's definite ways of extending public cloud, like whether that's outposts or like on IBM front, it's called a cloud satellite on GCP, it's uh, Anthos, right? The, there, there's definitely ways of doing that there. But if you're like me, you know, public cloud, what's public cloud? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding to my public cloud friends. You know, you want to do this with like technologies you control. And that's, for me, that's OpenShift. I mean, OpenShift has done huge inroads on handling edge and, and that's via like remote workers. So these were remote or remote compute nodes. So the remote compute nodes are there to, are still connected to a central Kubernetes cluster, but they're remote. That That's the only difference. It's you're still commuting back to a central commute, uh, Kubernetes cluster. Maybe it has some slightly different network configuration. And then, or if that is not something that is possible, like maybe it, you have a single node solution or you just need to put multiple nodes out there, but it can't be managed by Kubernetes for whatever reason. This is really where, you know, sticking on the Red Hat side for a little while, that's where RHEL for Edge comes into play. Or uh, Fedora, uh, IoT. Well, I, IoT is more for your for your endpoint devices, but Fedora Core OS is definitely, and RHEL for Edge was kind of inspired by by the Core OS project. I mean, those two technologies seem like, at first glance, those two technologies feel like they kind of solve the same problem, but they actually go hand in hand. If you've got, say, Fedora IoT running on some kind of a sensor or some kind of a single single board uh, server running, I don't know, some kind of a sensor. And then you have a, a series of those sensors all running Fedora IoT. Then in an edge case, they, they'd be talking to, say, a Fedora Core OS system or a RHEL for the edge system. 
and that that's what would build kind of that that last mile layer of that onion. I think it's interesting that other than Core OS and Rel for the Edge, there's not much from a traditional data center perspective being developed for edge use cases. Maybe if I explain the flip side, that'll that statement will make more sense. Look at all the technologies that have come up around Kubernetes. Single node Kubernetes, remote workers in OpenShift. I mean, these are all these these are both tools designed to take your your existing container orchestration platform and extend it out to areas that have poor network connectivity or low latency. High latency, not low latency. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Low bandwidth, high latency connections like you would get at a remote office or on a manufacturing plant where there's a lot of of heavy interference with, say, a traditional wireless signal. But a lot of this is built around container orchestration. So if you look at the next generation of technology, which I think is going to be heavily dependent upon edge use cases and 5G connectivity, where you may not be able to run a fiber or an Ethernet connection, it's all containers. It's all container orchestration. So I can can have my control plane running inside a nice weather-controlled, environmentally safe area inside my data center, my co-located data center. And then I I can take this little single board server Stick it in, stick it in the back of of a forklift. We keep coming back to the manufacturing manufacturing floor, but I can stick a. It's the easiest one, right? Right. <laughs> it's it's easier to to fathom that than than a city full of self driving cars. I think, and you're not a football, not much of a football fan, but uh, go Chiefs. Anyway, <laughs> but it all comes back to this container orchestration perspective from Kubernetes, and I, I think that's really telling of where the industry is going. Well, the whole point of Edge is you need to be able to manage this at scale. Like it's managing, like the it's not just managing like hundreds of servers. We're talking tens of thousands of endpoints mm-hmm. that happen to be running Linux, right? That's really what it comes right down to. And it's not necessarily a Kubernetes orchestration engine. Like I, Fedora IoT, for example, is not managed by Kubernetes at all. It's managed by that. It's really it's they're self managed, but you know with a central console to to push updates, right? That's really what it really all, or push out the applications. It's not Kubernetes managed, like just to be clear there. I think you hit the nail on the head there, Brandon, with probably the single biggest word of caution, I suppose, for going down the path of edge is you can, we've been pushing automation, we've been pushing infrastructure as code, but I think when you shift to to edge, when you shift to deployments where you're right, it's, it's not hundreds of servers, it's thousands, if not tens of thousands of endpoints. Automation is is a must. There's absolutely no way that you can go out and name each little each little component, give it some cute little name from Babylon Five, or we had printers that were named after US presidents. I mean, you can't you can't treat your five G endpoints like like they're pets. You to be able to make that switch to edge, it, it has to be ephemeral. It has to be to the point where if something goes down, it automatically gets rebuilt, throws up an alert, and and that's it. It's just like, oh, hey, we rebuilt this endpoint because it, it crashed. And you just go on with your day. And you need to have the kind of redundancy built into that system because otherwise you're never going to be able to to manage a network at that scale. Yeah, I'd be remiss if I did not mention K3S. That you know, it's a lightweight Kubernetes distro. You know, for a long time, I really didn't consider it Kubernetes. I still don't, but because it doesn't use etcd underneath the covers, I, I, my memory's right. It uses uh, SQLite for the key store. 
instead of etcd. But that's how it's able to be super light. But anyway, besides that, it is a fantastic way of managing things at the edge. Because if you need those Kubernetes APIs at the edge, that's a great way of doing it, especially if you don't have a lot of hardware. Now, also be remiss if I did not talk about microOS from the OpenSUSE project. Very similar in terms in terms of handling that edge use case. So of RHEL for Edge and Fedora IoT, it's an ephemeral operating system. It's atomically updated. I mean, that's I think that's we keep coming back to that. Right. Other technologies. I mean, we talk about operating systems and Kubernetes platforms. I think one of the biggest technologies that will be deployed at the edge is TensorFlow. It's uh, and other open source AI technologies. I mean, we talk a lot about operating systems. We talk a lot about Kubernetes because Eric and I are infrastructure nerds. <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk a lot about the apps, but for me, this is the AI revolution. Like Edge is where AI it becomes critical for, and and becomes more obvious in our day to day life. Like I'm not talking Skynet. <laughs> well, that's I where know. my brain went. I don't know about any of y'all, but I, I thought Brandon <laughs> was predicting Skynet. <laughs> but AI is going to become more more ingrained in our day to day lives, whether we know it or not. And TensorFlow and other projects will be a part of that. To some extent, it already is. Yeah, if you have uh, an Android phone, yeah, it's there. It's processing your photos. It's doing analytics on your photos. It's doing to upscale them to. You know, that's how a lot of these, um, you know, when you take a photo at night on your Android phone or iPhone, it's not, it's using machine learning and AI to upscale it. That's how it's doing it under the covers. It's actually not creating a great photo (laughs) 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 when you press that button. So it's already there, but it's going to be around, it's going to be surrounding us more, you know, automating more things around us. Like we went another use case. I, I I didn't even bring this one up, I, I, and it's so obvious. And that's smart city. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about that. It co- comes part of self driving cars if, mm-hmm. at when those become more mainstream. When it becomes mainstream, I'm going to say if it's a win, self driving cars will happen. But you know, in the meantime, though, like how can we get uh, in terms of smart city? How can we give people the most efficient route home? Right, like so. During high congestion times, like we know that this route uh, has a high congestion, so change the light timing based off or and dynamically change it based off the traffic. Right. Change the lighting based off turn off lights because no one's there. <laughs> like, right. Save on power. You know, there's a lot of things we can do with smart city as well with edge computing. And that's all driven by AI. So for the most obvious one is TensorFlow. There are other technologies, proprietary and open source, but that's the most common one out there at the moment. Well, we'll definitely have to see if we can get somebody on who is an expert with TensorFlow, because I, I feel like that's kind of out of our usual comfort zone. I think this has been a good overview of, of what Edge is. I think we kind of demarketified the the technology, but I think smart cities, smart car, smart self-driving cars is kind of where things are going. I see Edge and 5G as, as a couple of necessary foundational blocks before we can get there. If we can look at a city that has low latency across the entirety of a, even just a district, 
I, I think you're in a much better position to implement things like smart cities and, and self-driving cars. I want to also uh, highlight low Earth uh, satellites as well, like low orbit satellites like uh, Starlink. Satellite technology, you know, before light with uh, internet service was over 200 milliseconds round trip from the satellite to your house. With Starlink, it's uh, basically the same as uh, fiber optic. That's being generous. You know, at Starlink, I think it was like 20, 30 milliseconds, maybe 40, depending on where you're at. And fiber, you know, is, you know, it's about, depending on where you're going, it's about 10 milliseconds, maybe five. But so it's uh, definitely something to think about. And as well, not because there's more network technology out there that I think is going to revolutionize how we communicate and how things communicate with each other. It's not just us anymore. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, your feedback is welcome. Head on over to sudo.show slash discuss. If you'd like more of Brandon and I, you can find it over at sudo.show and on social media at sudoshowpodcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, destinationlinux.network. Brandon, anywhere else you'd like to send folks? You can follow me on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson or my website at open-tech.net. You can head over to Red Hat TV and catch me live every other Wednesday on Red Hat Enterprise Linux Presents. Or you can follow me at ITGuyEric or on ITGuyEric.com. Remember, the Pseudo Show is your place for all things enterprise open source. Until next time.